Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side of Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. We have some player news to talk about this week. The Cubs have made a few moves. Also, the Cubs lost a player that we all thought was coming back. We also have some comments from Joe Mens basically saying that he's going to change some things up. All this and more on Climbing the Ivy. Let's welcome in Adam. Adam, how you doing? Howdy ho, Alex. How are you doing? Oh, I am just wonderful today. Absolutely peachy, as you like to say. Wow, that's great. Isn't it? Let's get right to it, shall we? I think the biggest news of the day was Ronald Torres. He came over to the Chicago Cubs in exchange for player to be named later or cash considerations. Not a huge deal. Ronald Torres, for those of you who don't know, was with the Yankees organization the past three seasons. He has played in 229 career games, 281 career hitter, 310 OBP, not really a power hitter, only four home runs, and he's not a starter by any means. He's strictly a bench guy, probably someone that is going to be in the minors for some time in the season and then be up as a bench guy, kind of those quadruple A player types. Career high in games played in the season is 108. That was 2017. They added 292 that year with a 314 on base, 375 slugging. Last year played in 41 games and then played in 72 games in 2016. So really, it's just a depth move right here. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, like you said, this is just a really solid depth move and and nothing too flashy about uh, Torres. Excuse me. Uh, Still a fairly young guy. I think he'll be, is he 26, 25, 26? Somewhere yeah. in there. He just turned uh, 26. Yeah, and, and yeah, he probably will be in the minors for some time, but I would expect he'll be on the big league club for uh, a good chunk of the season because this guy, you know, no power, like you said, but he is a serviceable hitter. I mean, he, he hits for a decent average every single year. Doesn't take a lot of walks, uh, which is okay, though, if you're if you're a depth piece and you're going to be the kind of guy coming off the bench or making spot starts. Uh, but I think this was a really good under-the-radar move for Epstein. Obviously, this isn't the move the Cubs are, are going to no. make this offseason. This isn't the big one. Um, but this is a good this is a good depth piece they added. I think is it was a smart move. Yeah, I mean you look at guys like Mike Freeman that we brought up from the minors, people like that. You're probably getting someone like that, but probably a bit better and probably going to be used a bit more than Mike Freeman. Now, here's what everyone wants to know: Does this have any correlation with Addison Russell? And does this mean that they're going to be getting rid of him? I don't know if this really necessarily has any correlation because, like I said, this is a depth move. And obviously, everyone can see that it's a depth move. So I don't see this as replacing Russell by any means. But can I say that there's no correlation? I can't fully say that. I just don't think that it is. What's your opinion on that? 
Yeah, I'm kind of in the same camp as you. I don't think this definitively means that this is the end for Addison Russell, but I do think this move could be some sort of preparation uh, just for the possibility of severing ties with Russell because I've said this on previous shows that I think if the Cubs were planning on having Addison Russell back, they would have said by now he's going to be back and on the team. Mm -hmm. Um, they haven't really said what I think we heard that they're not ruling it out that he will be back. But I think if they were planning on having him back, they would have said something along those lines by now. So I, my personal opinion is that this is sort of a, a preparation move uh, to, to uh, split up with Addison Russell. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to add depth like this, at least you're at, you know, you're adding depth that's big league capable it's not like you're claiming some no-name off waivers or a guy you know right. is not going to be in the majors. Yeah, this is yeah. a quadruple A player, but he's shown that he could be an effective bench guy in the majors, so it's pretty clear to me that they plan on playing him on the big league squad at some point in the season. You know what, though? If we're being honest, Addison Russell is a quadruple A batter, uh, and maybe yeah, not even. You know, it... Torres is not going to be as good defensively as Addison Russell, probably not close to that, but he's serviceable. Uh, but the bat, I think, is going to be similar and maybe maybe even a little better. And he's not going to have uh, the power capabilities that Addison Russell had, but even Russell just was not hitting for any power lately. But as far as batting average is concerned, I think Torres is a little bit of an upgrade over Addison Russell. Yeah, I mean, I would like to compare what Therese would do in a full season like Russell, but let's face it, Russell wasn't exactly an everyday player uh, down the stretch. So, yeah, I mean, you might be getting somewhat of an upgrade there. Uh, you can you can ignore the lack of power, like you said, because he's a bench guy. So as long as he, you know, sprays a few singles here or there or comes in defensively and makes a start now and then sometime in the middle of the season, then, yeah, You'll have use for this kind of guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't start the season in the majors. He's going to get plenty of playing time uh, in the Cactus League, no doubt. But I think when the season starts, unless he really earns it, you may see him start in AAA and then come up later. At least that's kind of my prediction. Do you see him starting on the opening day roster, or are you kind of, kind of iffy on that? Well, I think it, it probably depends on Russell's situation. I think if Russell yeah. is gone, then there's obviously there's a better chance that he does end up on the opening day roster. But whether he does or not, there's really no doubt, I think, in anyone's mind that he will be on the big league club eventually. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that another thing to look at in a move like this is it's pretty obvious to me that they still want as much depth as possible, and they already have a ton of it. And just because they're building up depth does not mean that they're not going to make any big moves. Because, you know, some people might ask, well, if they're building up just depth like this, is there going to be any room to make big moves? Not necessarily, because you can make some trades. You can do some shifting around if you sign somebody. So building up depth, no matter where you are, is always an important thing. And, and that's why I like moves like these. Oh yeah, the off season is so young right now. There's, there's just right. real endless possibilities. Anything could happen. I mean, really, 
I don't see this happening, but there's a chance Torres may not even make it through all off season on the Cubs. You know that I could see him being a, a sort of semi valuable trade piece uh, for other teams. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It's hard to know what the off season is going to bring, and I think that some people need to take a step back and not draw conclusions about the off season on November 28th especially the fact that most big league teams outside of a few haven't made any big moves. The biggest moves that have been made were the Yankees trading for John Paxson and the signings of Brian McCann and Josh Donaldson down in Atlanta. Other than that, the Yankees haven't spent any big money. The Dodgers haven't made any moves. Most teams have not made moves yet. So don't just conclude that the Cubs aren't going to do anything this offseason. It's way too early for that. Oh, yeah. You're not doing yourself any favors by overanalyzing moves like this in November. They just The Cubs are going to the Cubs are gonna try to make some sort of splash. I don't know if they will land the big fish. I don't, I don't think they'll go after Machado. I, I really don't see him kicking the tires on trying to sign him. I, do, I, I think most people believe they're going to make a big push for Bryce Harper. I think they will. Um, I think they're considered to be one of the front runners for him right now, as they should be. Whether or not that ends up happening is anybody's guess. But th- I can assure you the Cubs are not done making moves. They're going to have a really busy winter, I promise. Yeah, I'm right there with you. This is not their move, like you said. And I said that on Twitter, too. Of like, If you think this is a big move, uh, guess what? It's not. It's not even close to the biggest move they're going to make. This is yeah, the time well, of I mean, year before the winter meetings you make these smaller moves. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much what I was going to say. Like, How often do guys like Bryce Harper, Darvish, how often do they sign with a team in November? You know, it almost those those big name guys. It almost always goes down to the wire with those guys more often than not. Think about John Lester. He was signed in mid December. A lot of the guys that we got was December or later. It doesn't happen right away. It would be no, unnatural no. for a guy like Bryce Harper to sign in November when you have an agent like Boris and you're trying to squeeze out every dollar you can. Yeah, it's re- that's really what it comes down to. Is it's just not. Uh, a very smart play to sign this early. Exactly. So that kind of brings the next topic uh, that I wanted to talk about, and that's Jesse Chavez. I think you and I can both agree that we pretty much had him as a lock for coming back, right? Well, yeah, and I was a little surprised because I didn't he say that if he wasn't going to be a Cub next year that he wasn't going to be in the league, he was just going to retire? Yeah. Uh-huh. He did. Yeah, that's what I thought. But I mean, it it makes sense if if the if you really wanted to end up coming back to the Cubs, then I suppose that gives Chicago's front office maybe uh, more incentive to sign him. Not really, but uh, I mean, you're, if you if you can get a job elsewhere, I don't see why you wouldn't. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to touch on a few points, uh, kind of surrounding this whole Jesse Chavez thing. One thing I want to make clear is don't judge the Cubs' financial flexibility on this move. I doubt, highly, highly doubt, that they didn't bring Jesse Chavez back because of financial constraints. The way I see it was 
And look, again, I wanted him back, but I don't think it's the end of the world that they didn't bring him back. Because here's the thinking behind it, at least the way I see it. Jesse Chavez had a career year last year. He had a 2.55 ERA the whole year and an amazing run with the Cubs, 1.15 ERA, a fifth below 240. He's a 35-year-old journeyman. He's been on many teams, and he has a career ERA of 4.45. The year before, he had a 5.35 ERA before this year. A lot of relievers like this have these great seasons and then will just completely regress the next year. I see it as the Cubs saw regression, at least predicting regression, and said, we're going to go with somebody else, maybe a younger arm or somebody else. But we milked what we got out of Jesse Chavez, at least what they were confident that they were going to get out of Jesse Chavez, and they just they didn't want to make a Brian Dunsing-like move. I don't know if he's going to be good or bad or not next year, but I think they kind of crunched the numbers and predicted some aggression, so they didn't really want to hand out a two-year deal to a 35-year-old reliever. Yeah, it- I couldn't agree with you more. There isn't a snowball's chance in hell that this move had anything to do with money. The Cubs could absolutely afford to bring Jesse Chavez back and then go and get whoever they wanted. Uh, I don't know what what his deal is with the Rangers, but it can't be that much. Um, Two years, eight million. Yeah, the Cubs could swing that easily. I I think they do maybe see him as Brian Dunsing 2.0, which really pains me to say because I'm a cornhusker like Dunsing. But, yeah, I think you look at Chavez's career, and he's ending downwards. I mean, there really is no reason to believe that he would duplicate what he did with the Cubs uh, in 2019. Uh, It's a small sample size, and and if you look at the season as a whole – I think you also need to consider that he pitched about 40 fewer innings than he did in 2017. So, yeah. Yep. I, could he be really good again next year for the Rangers? Yeah, he could. Uh, I wouldn't bet on it, though. I would expect, like you said, to see somewhere more in, like, the four-and-a-half ERA range for him because that's really that's really more who he is. And he is getting up there in age, too. So, that. I like the guy. I'm I'm grateful to him for what he was able to provide the Cubs down the stretch. He was really a spark plug for them in the bullpen. Uh, but I'm totally fine with this. I, they just didn't need him back. And I think that, honestly, I think they could do as good or better than Chavez within their own system somewhere. And that's the thing. As good as he was last year, as much as I liked him, and, you know, again, I wanted him back, but you realize that these type of guys are replaceable. You're not replacing a Chris Bryant. You're not replacing an Anthony Rizzo. You're not replacing a Javier Baez. You're replacing a veteran relief arm, and there's millions of those out there. They got the best of what they could from Chavez. It ended up being a great move. Uh, The Kinsler move was not so good, and you are stuck with that you got to hope that he rebounds with the Cubs next year. But, I mean, again, these types of guys are replaceable. So, yeah, I I wanted him back. It kind of stinks that he isn't, but it's not the end of the world by any means. And, look, if you're just upset that Jesse Chavez is gone because you liked him and wanted him back, I understand. That's fine. I just wouldn't go off saying that this is due to financial constraints. To me, that just wouldn't make any sense. 
Yeah, on a, on a personal level, it, it is disappointing because everybody liked the guy. He had a good personality, good attitude. But just purely from a baseball perspective, this move makes sense for the Cubs. It really does. Right, exactly. So, you know, I'm going to move on from it. Uh, wish him the best in Texas. Thank him for what he did. Uh, yeah, so they'll find somebody else. Whether it's minor league, trade, they'll find somebody else. And the the, the funny thing about Theo Epstein's bullpens are he has this great ability to just go around collecting veteran arms that either look washed up, never really had a prime, or former starters, and form a good bullpen. Going back to 2015, look at the 2015 bullpen. You had Clayton Richard and Fernando Rodney getting key outs down the stretch. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's... He does. He has a keen eye for that sort of thing. It's it's pretty amazing how every year he seems to find a, a diamond in the rough somewhere, and I've no doubt that he'll do the same thing in 2019. And going back a little bit, uh, I think Brandon Kinsler's situation is actually a little bit the opposite of Jesse Chavez. I, I think it's reasonable to expect much better performances out of Kinsler. You, I mean, you look at what he's done the last few years – uh, I think there's there's reason to believe he's going to be significantly better than he was with the Cubs in 20. I would sure hope so. I really would. He's not going to be um, a seven ERA guy. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Not in a full season anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's, he's a guy that you really want to rebound because you saw how good he was in Washington. He was a very solid arm. Obviously, a big ground ball guy doesn't strike out a lot of guys, but unfortunately, he was neither striking out guys or getting ground balls with the Cubs. He was giving up a lot of long balls. You hope that that changes. Yeah, and I, I think that the reality is it'll probably be a, a pretty short leash for him. So, I mean, he'll either turn it around and have a, a decent season next year or better, or he'll stink straight away, and that'll pretty much just be the end of it. And that's what I foresee. And then anyway. you replace him with someone else. Right. So one way or that's another, you're not going to have Brandon Kinsler just totally crapping all over uh, the bullpen all year. I think it, he'll get his shot, but if he if he doesn't uh, if he doesn't look like he belongs, then then he won't. He won't be there. Yeah, it's going to be a big year for him to try to rebound. Um, Speaking of trying to rebound, I guess this kind of goes for it, but uh, Joe Madden. Overall, managing-wise, he did have a good year, but he wants to bring this team back to a division title and get back to the NLDS because for the first time under his tenure, he did not coach in the NLDS. Uh, So he's going to try a little bit of a different approach. He said that – that part will be a little different in uh, terms of coaching. Wants to be more hands-on, less talking. So a more hands-on approach, whatever you hold that to be in your opinion, I think to me it says that he's simply just going to spend more time out there with the players. That's all I really see of it. I don't I don't know what details he's going to go into, Um you know, I'm reading some of his quotes now. He says, I've always kind of stayed free of coaching because I really want to stay out of the coach's way so they can do their job. I always felt that this is the right way to do it, but this year I'm going to get a little more hands-on. So more coaching, that's 
the simplest way I can put it. That's all I could really describe it as. What was your reaction to that? I I like it. I, I um I'm kind of, I guess I'm kind of neutral on it. I you know Madden will probably go down as the best manager the Cubs have ever had. When the Cubs have been around for a long time, but he's the first guy to get them to a World Series championship in over a century. So uh, with that being the case, I'm not about to question his approach anymore. I mean, that, he, he makes some decisions sometimes that we all kind of scratch our heads, but ultimately you, you can't really argue with the end product. Uh, but I, I like this. I, I think it's a good move. I it, it certainly can't hurt uh, as far as player-manager relationship goes. I think that uh, Madden being even closer than he already is with a lot of those guys uh, could be a, uh, could be a really good thing for him. I think one thing that really speaks to me of him being more hands-on, and this could just be completely my opinion. I don't know if this is relevant or not, but since the Chili Davis thing went south and the players clearly weren't listening to him, I think that him being more hands-on is his kind of way of making sure everyone's on the same page and that everyone is doing what he feels like they should be doing. Because if they weren't listening to Chili Davis and Chili Davis was giving him bad advice and he was more hands-off, well, then you got kind of a, a scrambled team right there. But if Joe Mann and his coaches are all working together more often with the players, then I think people will be more on the same page. I don't know if that really influences the decision, but that's just kind of something that I thought about. Yeah, I don't know. Does this inspire much confidence in uh, the assistant coaches for you? I mean, this, you could look at this as Madden saying, okay, fine, I'll do it myself, you know? Yeah, maybe. I feel like, though, in the end, the coaches know what their roles are going to be, and they understand that Joe Madden is the manager in terms of what coaching he actually does is what I'd like to know because, yeah, he's going to be more hands-on, but does that mean he's going to be doing more uh, fungo drills? Does that mean him and the hitting coach are going to be working in the cages with these guys? That's what I'd really like to know. I, I almost feel in an optimistic way is that Joe Mann's going to be president, uh, present during you know all these different drills and training sessions and whatnot, but I also feel like he would let – the hitting and pitching coaches do their thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think that'll probably be the case. At least I would hope so. I mean, what's the point of bringing in? I mean, what's the point of getting rid of your pitching coach and uh, and cutting ties with your, your hitting coach if, if you're just going to try to do their job for them? Right, and that's why I don't think that's going to happen. I think he knows where his boundaries are despite saying, hey, I'm going to step in a little bit. I think the coaches will understand, at least I hope so. But if this is what he's establishing now in the offseason as he's getting this coaching staff together, then I think there's already more of an understanding. It's not like it's going to be the middle of the season or it's going to be spring training. Everyone's doing their thing, and Madden suddenly says, hey, I'm going to step in and be more hands-on when you're already underway. He's establishing this before – the season even starts, before the preseason starts, before anyone reports to camp, before they make any major moves. Going into camp, they're pretty much going to know that this is what Joe Madden is going to be doing, and they're going to be prepared for that, so they're going to prepare accordingly. Yeah, and, and Joe Madden's a smart guy. I think he, he knows his place. Uh, I think he'll be smart enough to uh, uh, 
to let the experts, the pitching coaches, hitting coaches, do their thing uh, while also giving uh, his own input when appropriate. So I don't think, like you said, I don't see him overstepping uh, his bounds uh, in this. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how the players respond to this. Absolutely. The other thing I want to touch on with Joe Madden is the whole lame duck thing. Basically, he says, lame duck, a free agent, are they synonymous terms? Players go into that year annually. Good players go into a season without a contract for the next year. I mean, he's right, but how much of a difference is that with managers? I don't know. I'm not a big league manager. I think it's fair to me to say that Joe Madden is approaching this like a free agency. He's not going to sit back. Clearly not. I mean, he's stepping in and doing more work. I think he's going to do the best he can. I don't know what his plans are after 2019, whether he wants to coach or not. But, you know, I I guess my point is Joe Madden kind of understands the situation of being a, quote, lame duck manager. This is something he hasn't really been in a position before. So right now he's not seeing it as much of a concern. My only question is, will some feelings change while the season is going on and he still doesn't have an extension? I don't know. But it's clear to me right now he's not letting the lame duck manager status bother him. At least he's not saying that to the public. Yeah, I think a lot of people do see this uh, as Joe Madden's uh, audition to to get an extension. And really, to be perfectly honest, I, I think that's kind of unfair. Joe Madden, he's made some questionable choices here and there. Nobody, I'm not disputing that. He's, he's, he's done some things that I don't agree with. Every manager does, though, you know, and sometimes, sometimes you do need to, uh, to, to be aggressive and, and make a call that isn't necessarily the, uh, the conservative safe play. But, you know, having said all that, I think Joe Madden has overcome a lot of obstacles with these Cubs teams, and it, it hasn't always been smooth sailing, especially last year, all the injuries and guys losing power. Uh, it's hard to know who exactly uh, you can attribute some of those problems to. Uh, but the reality is the Cubs are a winning ball club under Joe Madden, and I really don't think that it's fair uh, that, he's, that he has to prove himself in this final year of his contract. I think he's already proven himself. The way I look at it is he's proven himself talent-wise as a manager, and I don't think that's as disputed. What I think that Theo Epstein is looking for is, is he really going to listen to what he wants? Because at the end of the day, Epstein is the boss. And it's pretty clear that Epstein was not very happy with all the decisions Joe made. And he, you know, he said that. He came out and said that in his presser. I mean, not right. He didn't go up there and say, oh, I disagree with Joe on so many things, yada, yada, yada. But it was clear he subtly said that there were things that the coaching did that he did not approve of. And I think that this year is kind of, look, is he going to listen to what I want? Is he going to be willing to work with me more? What's going to happen here? The talent and the mind is clearly there. I mean, he won a World Series. They've been a winning team under him. There's clearly enough trust there that he's a smart enough guy. The question is, is he the guy that's going to listen to the boss and what he wants? That's yeah, how I see it. Yeah, you're right. But uh, I, I, 
I think this needs to go both ways, too. I think there needs to be a little give and take between Madden and Epstein because yeah, you're right. Epstein is the boss. Uh, and and I don't think Joe Madden is a, a totally disagreeable guy. I don't see him that way. Just the fact that he's taking a little bit of a different approach this season tells me that, that there's some wiggle room there. But at the same time, I think Epstein needs to realize, too, that Joe Madden's got pedigree. I mean, he's been around a long time. He's one of the most well-respected managers in the league. He's been to two World Series. He won one. Uh, so I think that there is there is something to that where Epstein needs to realize that Joe Madden obviously is a guy who knows what he's doing. So I, I think that there's a little bit of it on both ends, I think. And that's a fair way to assess it. I think there's validity to that. Another thing that I also think about is, is Theo Epstein, who knows that Joe Madden is a good manager, is Theo Epstein evaluating the evolution of this team and looking at Joe Madden and saying, as time goes on, his message is becoming stale or not. I think that's what he may be asking. That I think is a fair criticism. Yeah, right. So I have always preached that every manager or coach, no matter how good or bad, has a shelf life with an organization. And sometimes the message can get stale Within a few years, within a lot of years, you see it everywhere. The length is different because coaches are different. But I think Epstein is legit looking here and saying, well, you know, Joe Madden has been a great manager for a number of years, but at this point of the window where these players have developed and where we are, is he the type of guy that's going to best fit this team? Or do we need another type of manager, one that's more, I don't, I don't want to say hardcore, but just has a different philosophy and, you know, more of a veterans guy. It just just kind of wondering if the message is stale or not. I, that's another thing that I think about when um, I look at Theo Epstein's evaluation and Joe Madden. Yeah, well, and it's, like you said uh, about the message, this team, though they're still a fairly young team, they've been around a while now. They've been in the league a while uh, they're not they're not kids anymore. They're not regarded as the the underdogs going up against the veterans anymore. They are top dog and they are expected to perform that way. And I think player development is potentially a fair criticism because it it's hard to know who exactly is is responsible. You know, it's some of it's on the players, some of it's on the assistant coaches, some of it is on the manager. It's it, it's really impossible to know how to divvy up responsibility for how player development is going. Uh, but you look at guys like Kyle Schwarber, Addison Russell, Ian Happ, and quite frankly, it's hard not to be a little disappointed with where they are now as opposed to where they started. Especially like Ian Happ, you saw the power go way down. You saw the swing look long and lanky. Kyle Schwarber has shown the flashes, but we're waiting for the guy that hits 40-plus home runs. You see the on-base is better, the walks are being taken, and the fielding is improved, but his number one asset is the long ball. And, you know, you, you saw flashes of that power over the years, but you're still kind of waiting for it. Yeah, and, you know, I still think Kyle Schwarber could be a, a valuable part of this team. I don't think he's ever going to be the superstar that people hoped he was going to be. I think the reality is he's not going to hit for a high average, uh, but 
if, if he can hit 35 to 40 home runs and get on base at a decent clip, then that's that's worth keeping. He's worth keeping around if he can do something like that. Uh, but if he's good, if he's just going to be what he was last year, uh, then you know that's replaceable. Yeah, I mean, I liked the on base last year. Like I said, I just would have liked to have seen maybe ten more home runs because you remember in 2017, despite all the struggles, he hit 30 plus home runs in 2017, and that was while spending a chunk of the season in the minor leagues. Yeah. So the home runs yeah. were coming at a pretty good pace. The walks have definitely increased, but it seems like the power has gone down. But then again, everyone's power went down last year. So yeah, and we'll we, we do need to credit him for his for his defensive improvements, and that that is yeah. one that I think we we can we can pretty much pinpoint that on Kyle Schwarber. I mean, I I suppose he could have been motivated by any number of coaches, uh, but nobody nobody can force him to get up early and run and and lose all that weight you know he had to he had to have the mindset to do that himself so you know uh he he was definitely he was definitely a a better player i think overall i just either the power needs to come up or the average needs to come up one of the two yeah and i definitely think that the thing that needs to go up is the power because he's He's not going to be an average hitter. And I know two years ago, Theo Epstein said that we kind of wanted to see him develop into a hitter. Just give me the home runs. you got plenty of guys that could get on base and be good hitters. His job should be to hit tanks and take walks. Yeah, I, I want to see more balls leaving the park altogether from him. And. Yeah. And and that's really that is what he should be. Like you said, the Cubs have enough guys in their lineup who can hit for average. That if Kyle Schwarber can just be the guy who comes in and hits bombs every once in a while, that would be fine. But but if he if he's gonna just do what he did last year, then I don't know that there's a strong enough case to keep him there long term. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of debate on whether he or others will be traded. I think I think people are in favor of trading him if they get a good return. I feel like some people just want him gone, and some people want him to stay. There's a lot of mixed feelings over Kyle Schwarber. Here's the thing. If they trade him, then you better be getting something worthwhile because I still think he's got a lot of value, a lot of productive value. I I think he does too, but uh, I think the time has also passed too where that he'd be worth a, a really elite package of prospects. I think they'd get a good return for him. I don't think they would get as good a return as they would have even a year ago or two years ago. I mean, it's possible. I think it also depends on what you're trading for. Are you trading for pitching? Are you trading for position guys? Are you trading for young guys to be as a project? That's also a factor in it as well. But I feel Uh, like he's going to be shopped at least. Maybe. I just... From my perspective, uh, two years ago, I look at him and and I see just a world of potential, and I think yeah. that's worth that's worth a lot. Now, if I'm if I'm a, a, the president of a team now, I look at him and still see potential, but I also am and asking the question: Is this just who he is? And so oh, I sure. think that probably that probably takes away from his value a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with that, definitely. You've seen him over the past few years. It's not like he's a rookie anymore. 
It's not like it's 2017 where he was trying to play in his first full season ever coming off an injury. I, that's a, definitely a, a valid question to ask. Is this who he is or does he have more potential? He's had time to prove himself. And again, he has shown the flashes, but yeah, I, I, I see what you're getting at because if you would ask me if they should trade Kyle Schwarber last year, I say, heck no. And this year I say I still like him, but I think they should definitely shop around and see what they could potentially get. Yeah, I mean, I think American League teams could see Kyle Schwarber being a big part of their lineup. And people people mock this all the time, but come on. Kyle Schwarber is kind of the prototypical DH guy. Like, let, don't kid yourselves. I and mean, he got better defensively, obviously. He did. But big portly guy hits for a ton of power, just hits absolute bombs. He's he, he's an ideal DH, and so I think the Cubs will entertain uh, offers on Schwarber. I really do. Yeah, I think him, Elmora, Hap. I think they're all on the table. You saw that article oh, yeah. a few weeks ago where it tried to twist it in saying that they may be trading Chris Bryant, and really all it was saying is that anyone was on the table. Let's get real; they're not yeah. trading Chris Bryant. Yeah, that was just a, a total clickbait headline was all it was. They're they're not that that's yeah, ridiculous. They won't even consider that. But yeah, unless you're one of the core guys like Rizzo, Bryant, Contreras, uh some of the pitchers, I think really nobody is completely safe. Oh no, I mean they're gonna be shopping guys left and right. If you were to point to just three safe position players, just three. I would say it's Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez. Anyone else is on the table, at least shopped. We're not saying they're going to trade all these guys, if any, but Theo Epstein's going to call and see what teams think about these guys. I mean, that's the the GM slash president's job is to shop these types of guys. Yeah, even Hayward is not safe, and – I don't see them trading Jason Hayward, but we'll we'll just say if they do, then you can really expect uh, a big, huge push for Bryce Harper. I still I, they could get him while keeping Jason Hayward, and and even if they did trade Hayward, I'm sure that that deal would would come with the Cubs uh, having to own a lot of that contract still. But uh, yeah, I I think the 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 key guys, uh, Almora, Hap. Russell, uh, Schwarber. Those those are the guys that I think uh, have a good chance of being let go or traded. You know, here's an interesting name that people have brought up. Jose Quintana. What do you think about that? You think there would ever be a chance that they trade him? He's under control. He's still pretty young. He's got a pretty good resume. Personally, I don't see them trading Quintana, but it has been brought up, and he's not a guy I would say that he's going to be traded, but I also wouldn't say he's completely untouchable either. I like it. I actually kind of like it. And, and don't get me wrong, I like Jose Quintana a lot, and I hope I hope he's with the Cubs, and, and I hope he has a bounce-back year, but... Uh, I think the Cubs can easily replace uh, Jose Quintana just as far as what he's done with the team. I think they could, they could find somebody else to do exactly what he's done fairly easily. Uh, but 
I think that the potential for him to bounce back is still there, and that would be pretty valuable to some teams. So it, I guess it would depend on uh, what kind of return they would get for him. But I don't think it's a safe bet that that he bounces back and looks more like uh, the Jose Quintana he was with the White Sox. So if the Cubs could get something really good for him, I wouldn't be opposed to doing that deal. Somebody brought up a hypothetical trade. And I don't know how possible or realistic this is, but if you have a chance to package Jose Quintana, Addison Russell, maybe one more position guy or a prospect for like a Corey Kluber, let's face it, you would do that in a heartbeat. If if they're well, trying yeah. to sell the Indians, you're you're not hesitating. You're making that move. I'm not saying that's gonna happen or it's even possible, but you know, Jose Quintana is a guy where you can find a good deal for him, even if you're not necessarily looking to trade him. Oh, I I would do that deal in a heartbeat because yeah. Corey Kluber is still pitching at at a Cy Young level. I mean, that, having him in having him in the Cubs rotation that's that's a total game changer. Exactly. So you could potentially use a guy like Quintana as a trade chip, or at least something to think about. It's good when you have guys under team control like that that aren't going to be free agents next year. So that's why you can't really let him off the table. Now, if there's a pitcher that I think is definitely not going to be traded, it's John Lester because John Lester is the center of this team, and I don't think they're even going to listen. I don't think anyone would even trade for John Lester at this point, even if he's still effective. It just wouldn't happen. No, I'm sure not. And Kyle Hendricks is another. He's completely untouchable. At this yeah. point, too, I would say. And so Darvish is untouchable just for a different reason, just because I don't think any other team would touch him in that contract with a 10-foot no. pole at this point. So <laughs> no. uh, here's hoping, though. You know, fingers crossed that, that he can stay healthy this year. I'm not going to hold my breath, uh, but the, you know, this has the potential to be one of the most disastrous free agent signings the Cubs have ever had. Yeah, let's... Let's hope for the better, definitely. Like I've said before, if he gives us 170, 180 really good innings next year, I'll gladly take that. I will gladly take that. That would be a win, yeah. And the whole point of evaluating the starting pitchers like I did was to kind of show that if there was one guy that would potentially be in a trade, it would most likely be Jose Quintana. Yeah. You would agree with that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know how you could argue with that. They're not going to trade Cole Hamels. No one's going to trade for Tyler Chatwood. No one's probably going to trade for Mike Montgomery. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they will trade Quintana. I think that it, it's a, it, it's pretty much safe to assume that he will be uh, in that rotation in 2019. But, but to be honest, I, I like the idea of, of floating him out there. Yeah, I would say his chances of being traded are about 10%, but I think that floating him out there, as you put it, is not the worst idea in the world. And that's going to be the case for a lot of these guys. You're going to float them out there and not necessarily trade them. It's kind of a way to evaluate value of assets you'd possibly want. Yeah, I think Cubs fans sometimes have a tendency to get really attached to the personality of a player to the point where it kind of clouds their uh, 
their their reasoning. You know, sometimes the, it, you just got to think about it from the perspective of does this make the team better? And, and it's, it's like it's the same thing with Jesse Chavez. Everybody really likes the guy, but is it really a big deal that they're not getting him back? Not at all. Exactly. Well, we just have a few seconds left. We hate to end the show now, but we had a really good show today. Uh, Adam, thank you for coming on. This has been the Cubby's Crib Podcast, Climbing the Ivy. Everyone have a great night. We'll see you next week. Choosing an energy company raises many questions. Constellation can answer all of them with energy solutions that fit your needs. Energy made efficient, simple, insightful, and flexible. That's what makes Constellation America's energy choice. Learn more at constellation.com slash energy. Today, I will not stress over the things I cannot control. If you live with anxiety or depression, you're not alone. Linden Oaks Behavioral Health is here to help you manage your symptoms so you can live your best life. Visit eehealth.org slash anxiety, and our experts will connect you with treatment in your area, including our location in Hinsdale. Help for anxiety and depression close to home. Linden Oaks Behavioral Health.